0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial.
1: Deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. He is Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Um, all
0: right, John, um, you ready to do some uh, mailbag questions here? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. That's the address. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Let's start with Henry. Um, you and I, John, John, just got done talking about which players could elevate from being. Uh, productive players to Pro Bowl players. Henry kind of asking, a, I guess, a similar question in a way, although he's kind of moving further down the down the board here. He says, which Texans who played poorly or were injured in 2023 most need a redemption season in 2024? If you could choose one to actually have a redemption season, who would it be? John, I've got a few names jotted down here, but I want to get your organic reaction off the top to that question.
1: I'm going to pick one on each side of the ball. Jalen okay. Petrie at secondary at safety and on offense, I would say Damian Pierce. I don't know if Damian Pierce can figure out the zone scheme. Don't know if he'll be back. He handled it very well, being demoted for Devin Singletary. But you talk about a guy that was on a pace for 1,200 yards till he missed the last four games of his rookie year with an ankle injury, still led the team in rushing, looked really good when he did it. Uh, and then he just couldn't figure out the scheme. And, of course, Petrie, who made big plays as a rookie, and that kind of offset the tackles he missed. This year he missed a lot of tackles, and he did not make the big plays. So Jalen Petrie and Damian Pierce, two really promising rookies a year ago had sophomore slops.
0: Yeah, I, I would. those are the first two names I jotted down also. Pete, and if I could choose one on either side of the ball, I would choose Petrie defensively. Um, I would choose on offense either Titus Howard or Kenyon Green. You know, and obviously both of them had their seasons derailed by by injuries to varying degrees. Titus got on the field, but he was a left guard almost the whole time. He hardly played any. Uh did he play any right tackle? I'm trying to think, John. He was a left guard the entire time this year. Was he I not? I can't
1: remember. They brought in Fant and yeah. uh, during training camp. And they did not have Charlie Heck and they had Josh Jones. At one point, yeah, you, know, you remember when they started Austin Daniels the game at left tackle? I do. He's on somebody else's team right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and when, and as that was actually one of the games they didn't give up any sacks. That might have been against the either <laughs> it was the it was either the Jags or the Steelers that he started against. That was back when Tunsil was banged up. You know, and Tunsil didn't come back to that Atlanta game in Week Five this year. Um, It's wild, man. Yeah, I would I would say Kenyon Green or Titus would be my two I would choose on the offensive side of the ball. John Mechie's another one who I think needs to show something during training camp this year. Or he might get squeezed, you know, he's, and I know, I know Mechie's operating under a different evaluation set based on his medical issues. But at some point you have to be a productive football player, you know? Um, so I think there's, there's plenty of candidates for sure. Um, all right, John, let's go. Aaron in California, cross off Henry's question there. Aaron in California, we always hear, about it, but I've struggled understanding heart, culture, and commitment as descriptors for a team since it's not really something you quantify on a stat sheet. Never has it been more evident to me, though, than this past weekend. Now, keep in mind, John this this mailbag question came in um, after the Cleveland win and before the Baltimore game. Um, Aaron says it's never been more evident watching the Texans against the Browns versus watching the Eagles and the Steelers in their divisional round game. Those teams look lazy on defense, don't commit to tackles, they don't swarm to the ball. I'm watching the Texans in 2023, and it seems like even if a tackle's missed, there's three other guys waiting to pick them up. Am I making this up, or is this something of you, of the Texans media elite, winking emoji, have noticed as well? To add to that, this the ever-elusive positive culture that seemingly never existed under O'Brien is now running through everyone's veins because of what D'Amico has done to this team. So I think what he's asking, John, is um, – is this this ethos that we're experiencing with D'Amico Ryan's? Is he is, you know? Is he is how he feels accurate? Is that what we're experiencing right now? Like this is the culture change we've been waiting for?
1: Yeah, of course, culture's attitude. That's all it is. Attitude. Another another word for attitude. Every coach wants it. It's obvious they had it on both sides of the ball. And special teams. D'Amico said in his introductory news conference, he talked about swarm. We will swarm to the ball. And they did. Now, when they get beat by the Ravens in the second half, they got no business staying on the field with the Ravens. The Ravens' best team in football this year, best record. And uh, so I don't hold that against them at all. And Ra- Ravens, other than Micah Fitzpatrick and Mark Andrews, they had everybody. All hands were on deck. And so I think it starts, attitude is about positivity, believing you can overcome adversity winning close games. They were great in close games. And they were seven and they were seven and three with Stroud in games decided by seven or fewer points. And he had 21 touchdowns and two interceptions. And when you win close games and you win plays with no time left or four seconds or six seconds left on the clock and you beat a good team like the Bengals on the road, a lot of that is your attitude, your confidence that you can overcome any obstacle. A lot of it's the people you have. Bob McNair told me one time he would not have a player on his team. It was another team that drafted a player, defensive back, in third round and flunked eight pot tests in college. And he said, I wouldn't have him on my team because those guys like that can't be you can't. Everything's fine when you win, yeah. but they'll let you down. They'll point fingers. They'll become cancers in the locker room. Those was several players I knew when he, as an owner, didn't want. And then Rick Smith, general manager, he didn't tell him not to take him, but Rick knew what kind of players he wanted. He said, "You can win with first-class people. You don't need, you don't need bad guys on your team." And uh, so uh, they have a great attitude on this team. On both sides of the ball and special teams, they're so confident that they can beat anything. And when they lose, they understand why. They didn't make excuses about the Ravens. They got steamrolled, and they want to get better, and they want to make sure it doesn't happen next season.
0: Our guy Wale in Virginia, John, sends in an email. Apparently the – and he sent it again before the Ravens game, not after the Ravens game. But apparently that win over the Browns really finally converted his wife to become a Texan fan, so much so (laughs) – That they went to the Baltimore game, Uh, so I've replied to Wally to see if he can let me know if his wife is still a Texans fan after the one game, the one game in which she's officially a fan of the team. They lose thirty-four to ten. His question, after I give you that little anecdote, is: No Texans player got named All-Pro honors. Does that match the eye test? Is Sauce Gardner that much better than Derek Stingley Jr. This year's vote is over with. Which players are you projecting to be named All-Pro next season? Uh, John, I'm not surprised that All-Pro is. The tippy top, the you know, it's it's it, it it's both conferences combined. It's the best of the best, and I don't know that the Texans had anybody that fit that bill necessarily um, this season. But I do expect them to get at least a lot more consideration for it next season.
1: When you stack up all their players against competition to other positions, Laramie Tunsil is only one. Derek Stingley Jr. missed half, the, almost half the season. You can't miss almost half the season and expect to win postseason honors.
0: Yeah. Um, if you had to pick one next year, John, who could be all pro, first, even first team or second team, because I don't think they had anybody even on second team, all pro, the Texans, who would you pick?
1: Will Anderson Jr. and Laramie Tonzo, Derek Stingley, and C.J. Stroud.
0: Okay, well, that's a good one. There's so much
1: competition at wide receiver. I'd like to say Nico Collins would take a step up, but even if he did, there's too many great receivers out there.
0: He got named All-AFC today, John, by the pro football writers. Did you see that? because the writers
1: are smarter than everybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to Joe Q. Joe Q says, I'd love to hear John's reflection on the 10-year Warren Moon period of the Oilers. They made the playoffs seven years in a row but never reached the AFC Championship. It's a better neighborhood than six losing seasons that came before it. But at some level, was it unsatisfying? And I think he asked this, John, with a kind of sort of an eye on the Texans. Like, okay, this is kind of the level the Texans got stuck at. Not seven straight years of making the postseason, but as an organization, they're kind of stuck at that divisional level right now. But I guess just specific, John, you covered that Oilers team. Was it unsatisfying at some level or was the fact that they had sustained success coming off of Really bad football, enough to keep people engaged and enough to make it fun to cover the football team.
1: Playoffs are are great when you make them, and when you make them a few years in a row, but then your expectations are higher. That '92 team that choked a 35 to three lead uh, midway through the third quarter at at uh, at Buffalo was hugely disappointing. The 1993 team, when Buddy Ryan came in and they knocked 11 quarterbacks out of games in 16. They had a great defense. They had three Hall of Famers on offense, Warren Moon, Bruce Matthews, and Mike Munchak, and they became the victim of Joe Montana's last miracle pass. Those teams, while they were really good and fun to cover, the fact that they never even got to a championship game was hugely disappointing, and I'll point out again, we in Houston have not had a ch- team in a championship game since the nineteen seventy nine. Love you, Blue Oilers.
0: Yeah, that's been a while. That's uh, that's a lot. That's the seventies, John. That was uh, we uh, we, we had hostages being held in Iran. I think when uh, when the Oilers were last uh, 1979. In the- yeah, man. Um, all right. Uh, this one's from Charles. If you were in D'Amico's shoes, what are some areas you would ask C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson to improve on? During the offseason?
1: who oh boy, watch now how hard those guys work. Will Anderson Jr. already plays the run really well. One of the things he's going to have to work on is dealing with double teams. If Jonathan Grenard gets away and they don't have a formidable guy opposite of Will who can get the quarterback, he's going to get double teams all the time. So he's going to have to learn how to beat double teams. As far as Stroud, I guess the red zone. And a lot of that has to do with all the receivers he was missing. He had two reliable receivers this season. Of course, Nico Collins. The other one was Dalton Schultz. His contract, one year, nine million, is up. He might be gone. They have yeah. no tight end on the roster capable of replacing him. Brevin Jordan is an H back who's a good receiver, but he's not a blocker. But I don't think at this point he's ready to step up and and replace what Schultz brought to the offense. So, uh, I think Stroud in the red zone.
0: Yeah. Like I, the way I read that question, John is like working on things in the off season. And like, it that's, I mean, it's hard to work on the red zone in the off season. You know what I mean? Like maybe at OTAs and things like well, that. I can't I think, think
1: anything he needs to work on individually. I
0: couldn't, I couldn't either with Stroud. Now, Will Anderson, I do think like he's still, he's not raw, but I could see where he might go to one of those you know you, you know sometimes the, the Von Millers of the world get together and they work on some certain things with their hands like edge rushing type stuff you know um you know i think will and- will anderson maybe taking some uh, mma hand to hand combat stuff you know to uh beat some guys off the edge i think there's I-, I do think there's there's probably some stuff for will anderson to work on individually john you know as a as an edge rusher sure um all right two more chris in the atl He says, well, wearing the same outfit this past Saturday that I've worn during the previous three-game winning streak didn't help. Are you all superstitious or even a little stitious? And if so, what is the silliest ritual you've kept in hopes to keep a winning streak going? John, are you at all superstitious when it comes to things?
1: I do really stupid things. Uh, Carol tells me all the time, if I switch to a game like a Baylor game and they're up, and then I'm gonna. She says, "Well, you need to you need to change back. You're gonna jinx them." And uh, sure enough, that they lose like they did against Texas. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. Other thing I do is this is weird. I when I'm walking and I have to walk a lot around the stadium. Yeah. If I don't step on cracks, it'll help Texans win. I guess I stepped on a crack last week.
0: You must have. Yeah, you must have. Or at least at halftime, maybe you went outside and stepped on a crack or something. Mine is, at least this season, it was – I um, I would go to Avalon Diner for breakfast before each game. I would get a veggie omelet, replace the hash browns with fruit, white toast, and a side of bacon, regular, not crispy. Coffee and a glass of water. I then, on the way either to the stadium or to Sports Radio 610, if it was a road game, my playlist would be, um, would be Kingdom, the walkout music for Cody Rhodes – Judas by Fozzie, lead singer Chris Jericho, and Boys of Fall by Kenny Chesney. If it was a home game, I would stop in and visit John Harris in the Hyundai studio to say hello. And then I would go up to the press box to leave my bag up there, but bring my laptop with me outside to do the pregame show. After the pregame show is over, I would immediately, immediately go back up to the press box and I would get a, a plate of food, including a salad and sit down and I would always get a Coke Zero. That was my ritual. And it worked for a while, John, until it didn't.
1: Yeah, I guess think I meet people out there just like that. It's amazing.
0: Just like what, John? Smart like me. Just like us,
1: do. doing stupid things like that. I know. It'll help them and we can't deviate at all. But I think people do that all over the world.
0: I like that I'm able to kind of write off the delicious breakfast at Avalon as some sort of thing that I have to do to get the Texans to win. Because <laughs> you know what I do like five other days a week? I eat breakfast at Avalon.
1: Tires. I love it. I got an Avalon across i ten. I go to yep. all Avalon's the time. Great what's your go to breakfast uh oatmeal with a banana and uh and uh raisins and dried toast which i cut up and put in there and then i love to do lunches with vegetables and on thursday i like the chicken and dumplings
0: okay well chicken and dumplings is a little bit decadent john that breakfast sounds like the worst breakfast i've ever heard no offense oatmeal you know with like banana I mean, I like it fine, but if I'm going to Avalon, man, get me that get give me that omelet. You know what I mean? Like, give me something with some substance there. What, John? When you were much much heavier, what did you get at Avalon Diner?
1: Well, I I got uh, omelets, I got uh, hash browns, I chicken got, fried uh, steak.
0: Yeah. You got chicken fried steak. Didn't I'm you? not
1: big on their chicken fried steak. Okay, but uh, I I always get vegetables there, and then I eat a yeah. big breakfast. I like their migas. I like mm-hmm. their hash with eggs on top of the hash. There
0: you go, bacon
1: and all that stuff. Yeah, now 20, you're talking. calories.
0: Yeah, now you're talking. Now you're talking. And then you then you go for your walk and you burn it off. Just don't step on any cracks. That's what you got to do. <laughs> all right, last one, John, Jimmy, and Magnolia. <laughs> this is actually a question that um, that I used on the show today on Payne and Pendergast. How many teams in the NFL would trade their combination of head coach? and quarterback so you have to trade him as a package for the Texans combination of head coach and quarterback given experience contractual situation too you can see Jay's rookie contract I guess a better way to ask it John is which teams would not yeah Kansas City
1: wouldn't Baltimore wouldn't that's it Um, to me I think San Francisco is not going to trade Kyle Shanahan under any circumstances okay and uh let's see who else Detroit right now they they kill people. that Tried to get Dan Campbell, but you take yeah. CJ over Jared awesome. Goff, I believe. Yeah, Goff's about to get another big contract. And uh, let's see, um, and let's see nobody in the North, um, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, maybe Cincinnati. Since he was a baby for me, Burrow yeah. and Taylor. So it's just a handful.
0: Yeah, John, I I um. My answer was Baltimore and Kansas City for sure, Cincinnati maybe, but Joe Burrows just had such a hard time staying healthy over the aggregate of his career. Um, And then my answer to San Francisco and Detroit was, let's ask the loser of the NFC title game on Monday what they feel about that. You know what I mean? Like, It's easy to say neither of them would right now. They're playing in the (laughs) NFC title game. And I would submit that if there were a team that San Francisco, one of the most perennially successful teams over the last few years, would swap Kyle Shanahan and their quarterback to, it would be for C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico, well, they know D'Amico
1: very well. They know course.
0: D'Amico, exactly, exactly. But I guess the overall point with this, John, with that question, and it's a recurring theme on today's podcast, it is crazy that a year ago today we had no idea who even the head coach was going to be of the Houston Texans. The quarterback was Davis Mills. The face of the franchise was Damian Pierce. And here we are a year later, and we're saying that – that every team in the NFL, other than maybe two or three teams, would trade their head coach and quarterback for the Texans head coach. It's
1: That's amazing. Crazy. That's why it's so exciting for the offseason. Yeah. They prepare for next season with those guys.